Mark chapter number 11. We continue our Sunday morning time out of the gospel of Mark. We're turning a bit of a page this morning, not only a chapter, but we're turning a a page in the the life and the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We see his earthly ministry coming to a close. I shouldn't say completely, our earthly ministry is public ministry very quickly coming to a close. The earthly ministry of Christ continues on. Not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Amen? Because he's living, we have that guarantee of hope of heaven. So, in a sense, the earthly ministry of Christ continues today because he blesses and encourages us. He gives us his word. He speaks to our hearts. He's calling people to salvation. So, the earthly ministry continues, but the ministry of Jesus his walk here on planet earth, the ministry, his public ministry where he was uh, in flesh and blood as he's uh, walked planet earth. And this is coming to a close now as he's making his way toward Jerusalem. The title of our message this morning is Arise for the King. Arise for the King. Mark chapter number 11. Let's read verses 1 through 11. When they came nigh to Jerusalem and to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as uh, ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied thereon, never man set. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say uh, ye to that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him Hither, And they went their way and found the colt tied at the door without in the place where the two ways meet, and they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto him, What do ye loosening the colt? And they said unto him, Even as Jesus hath commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he set upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and stowed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed be is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. When he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. We come to this passage this morning. It's a very important passage in our scriptures. It's a transitioning passage, so to speak. Uh, This morning we come to what many would call and many refer to as the triumphal entry of Christ in Jerusalem. We've been walking with Christ, following our Lord as he's been making his way uh, to his final destination, which would be here in Jerusalem. The importance of this passage is noted in the fact that all four Gospels record this particular passage. So it's a very important thing that the Holy Spirit saw fit to put it in all the Gospels. This is uh, the introduction of the final week of our Lord's ministry. The introduction of the final week of his public ministry here upon earth. And although we oftentimes refer to this as the triumphal entry of Christ, and we see all the things surrounding this event, this really this is this is this event is not the coronation of a king. 
It is not the coronation of a king by a nation. For the very crowd that's crying out here in this passage, Hosanna, would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him in just a short few days, a short period of time. If this had been a Roman king, a, a Roman general or a Roman king who had been coming into Jerusalem or be coming into any city of renown of that time, there would be an elaborate parade, no doubt. There would be armies. Uh, these armies would march in unit by unit in formation, in strict formation in front of the king. No doubt this would have been the case if it had been a, a Roman king. The king would come, that king would come and He'd be on his golden chariot or uh, riding some white stallion. He'd be wearing his regalia. He would be, have his crown upon his head. No doubt there would be priests that would be walking before him and after him. And they would be burning incense. All the crowds would be lined up along the street. And the processional would somewhere maybe end in the center of the city. Or uh, maybe in the arena where then there would be great feasting and great celebration. Maybe even for days. At this entrance of Jesus, there was no regalia. No, uh, no chariots. No stallions. No incense. No feasting. No armies. Although Jesus is and he was the king of heaven, he is and he was still the king of earth. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And as the true king, he's deserving all the glory. He certainly deserves all the honor. He deserves all the worship. But this event that we read this morning, this event falls short falls way short of that which is truly due the King of kings and Lord of lords. But I just wanted to understand this morning, this is not the coronation of a king, but there would be, there would be very shortly the coronation, there would be a coronation of the king in heaven. Jesus would finish the work of Calvary and on the other side of the cross in just a short period of time at his ascension, the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. They would be in a coronation at that point in time. Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine the celebration of heaven that day? The day that Jesus lifted off planet earth and, and he went up into the clouds and he was received up into heaven. And he entered back into his original glory. Can you imagine what heaven would have been like in that day? I, we cannot, I cannot imagine what heaven's like today. But I can only think that, boy, this was some kind of celebration. The time that Jesus ascended back into heaven. John 17 and 5. Jesus said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. And the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Uh, there's, God has been surrounded in glory. Jesus Christ has always been shrouded in glory. Surrounded by glory. Because he is glory. Uh, from eternity past to eternity future. There was the glory because of his person, of his position. But now he's finished the cross. He's on the other side of the cross. And can you imagine the celebration that's taking place in heaven? There was great glory that day that Jesus ascended back to heaven. None like we could ever even uh, conceive of or, or talk about or imagine. I don't know. 
I, I don't know, and by the way, we're not having choir practice this afternoon, but I don't know if they had choir practice in heaven. I, I'd be interested to know if Andrew's going to be leading some choir practice in heaven. I don't know if there's choir practice in heaven or not, but I believe that the saints and the, the angelic choir pulled out all the stops the day that Jesus stepped back on shore. I believe they pulled out all the stops and the the orchestra played like they'd never played before. It could have been. I believe it was absolutely amazing what was taking place. The singing, the choir, the orchestra, the celebration. But then the God of heaven, God the Father, stands up from his eternal heavenly throne. and, And can you just... Bear with me and think about the fact that God the Father, He stands up from His throne and He reaches across the portals of heaven and He takes the hand of His only begotten Son and He thunders, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Everybody in heaven hears it. Everybody knows whose voice it is and whom I'm well pleased. And he takes the hand of his dear son and he says, Sit down here on the right hand of the majesty on high. Wow, what a celebration. Let all the angels, let all the angels of God worship him. And let all those angels be his ministers. Wow, what a celebration. Then he says, Thy throne, O God, God the Father, speaking to God the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a sepulcher of righteousness, is the scepter of Thy kingdom. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom. Forever it will be. And then God the Father says this. Notice with me out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that maybe God the Father proclaimed and thundered those words in heaven. The coronation of Christ in heaven. This was not the coronation of a king here that we read this morning. But there would be one and there was one. But there also be another coronation. The coronation that's yet to come. The coronation within the future. This future is the true earthly coronation of the king. The one that is yet to come will be the coronation of the king upon our planet earth. This time, he's not riding the colt of a donkey. This time, he's riding the white stallion. This time, there is regalia. This time, there are crowns. This time, there are armies. And guess who the armies are? All the saints of God. All those who have been born again in Christ. Listen to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, 
white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's a coronation day coming. When every knee shall truly bow, and every tongue shall truly confess. Mark it down. Every king of this world will bow down in submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We see the coronation of a king. His name is Jesus Christ. What a coronation this is. I think it's, it's something that we ought to prepare for. Because... I think everyone's going to be recognition, to be in that recognition of who God is. And the Bible says that this future coronation, there will be a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. That will usher in that thousand-year millennial reign. And guess where it's going to be? Jerusalem. It's the passage we read this morning. It's going to be from Jerusalem. And beyond that, the the thousand years does not end. Beyond that, Christ will reign throughout all of eternity in the new heaven and in the new earth. Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 44. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to to other people. No one's going to come past him. No one's going to supersede him. It will not be left to other people. But it shall break. That kingdom that will be set up by God shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. Here's the Daniel. He's talking about the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the statue that he's seen. And all these kingdoms would come. And then there would come a king. There would come a kingdom that will destroy and consume all these others. And the one that will destroy and consume, it shall stand forever. That's what the Bible tells us. Out of this passage this morning, I want us to note several things from our text. I want us to see the Lord's arrival, the lavish praise, and the lost condition. Notice with me, first of all, the Lord's arrival. We noted out of verse number 1 of Mark chapter 11, and they came nigh into Jerusalem, and Bethphage, and Bethany, and the Mount of Olives, He sendeth forth two of his disciples. He came nigh into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is translated the the city of peace. Here's the king of peace. He's entering the city of peace. In the Bible it often talks about Jerusalem is often called Zion or Mount Zion. 2 Samuel 5 and 7 speaks of David, King David, and he sets up his throne in Jerusalem. It said, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. If we read Psalm 80, 48, rather, verses 1 and 2, listen to what the Bible says. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north in the city of the great king. David was a great king, but God, Jesus Christ, He is the greatest. Here we see Him. He's coming into Jerusalem. 
Understand that this particular scene here out of Mark chapter 11 is a scene wherein it's been prophesied Jesus comes exactly on time. You know, Jesus is never too late. Uh, Jesus comes exactly on time. The prophecies are being fulfilled. And it's said that maybe upwards of 300 or more prophecies, Old Testament prophecies, prophecies are fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. And he fulfilled them all. And the odds of just one person putting together just eight or ten of these prophecies together, one person in all of history fulfilling these things is one to the, to the I don't know how many powers. You can do the math, but you can't count them. You can't count them. He's fulfilling prophecy. He comes to Jerusalem. This scene is just on time. Understand it's just on time because it's the Passover celebration that's coming. John had declared, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, They didn't see him as the Lamb of God, but Jesus has come to be slain, to be that Passover Lamb. The prophecy is fulfilled to the exact location In the exact day, Daniel chapter number 9. If you'll turn with me, please, to Daniel chapter number 9 this morning. We see the prophecy, this thing that's taking place, this event is exactly on time. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. This is what's often called the 70 weeks of Daniel's prophecy. It was given to him as Daniel is praying, and he's interceding on behalf of his nation. And the angel Gabriel, he steps in and interrupts the prayer. And he says, let me, let me fill you in on a few things here. Let me tell you what the future is going to look like. And we often call this the 70 weeks of Daniel's prophecy. And it's given to him by Gabriel the angel. In verse number 24, 70 weeks are determined Upon thy people and upon the holy city. What is that holy city? It's Jerusalem. To finish. Look what's going to take place. Verse 24. He gives an overall illustration or excuse me description of what's going to take place during this time frame. This 70 weeks. During this time frame there's going to be the finish. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. This 70 weeks is prophetic in nature. Uh, We understand and we know that one week out of this passage. One week equals seven years. So 70 weeks is 70 sets of seven. Seventy sets of seven, or 490 years. And verse number 24 details all that will take place on earth during those four, that 490-year period. But then in verse number 25, in the very first part of verse number 26, it details and it pinpoints the entrance of Christ into Jerusalem. Verse number 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, threescore, and two weeks. And the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. Verse 26, 
And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. It's describing here the, the entry of Christ in Jerusalem and the, the cross, the finished work of Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection. This passage 25 and 26, it details, it pinpoints the entry of Christ in Jerusalem. Verse number 25, there was a commandment that was given by King Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia. It was the king that commanded Nehemiah to, to go back and to restore and to build Jerusalem. You find that in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I won't take time to read them. But Artaxerxes is given the decree to Nehemiah to go back and to build this city, to rebuild and restore. From that decree, there would be 69 weeks, 69 of those sets of seven, 483 years from the time of the decree into the coming of Messiah into Jerusalem. Verse number 26, and after three score and two weeks, the 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. He'll be killed. And then we have God's timetable stop. That 70th week is yet to happen. But understand, I believe we're on the brink of it beginning. The 70 week of Daniel when, when God's wrath is poured out. But understand, God's people are taken out before. This is the next thing. God's going to restart the timetable. God's going to restart the clock. But from this 483 years, the Jews of that day... Those who understood and knew the Old Testament scriptures, they would have been looking for the Messiah. They would have been looking for the first coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is right on time. He pinpoints the time. He pinpoints the place. He's right on time and is coming to the very day. As prophesied by Daniel's 69 weeks. Not only do we see that he's on time, but we see that in this coming of Christ into Jerusalem, he's omniscient. He's omniscient. We notice verses um, 1 through 6 of the passage. If we go with me back to Mark, he sends two of his disciples, verse number 2, and said to them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied. Thereon never man set. Loose him and bring him. I won't take time to read them all again, but we know that, that when they go into the Town, when they get to the, to the city, they do find that colt there. The, the colt is tied there. And surely, as Jesus says, someone comes out and says, What are you doing? What are you taking? And they say, The Lord has need of him. And they say, Loose him. You take him with you. Let him go. There's omniscience in his coming. Omniscience is a divine attribute that only God has. Only God has. Please understand this morning that he knows every detail about you and every detail about me. He knows every moment of every day. He knows every hair upon our heads. Some he doesn't have to count very far. He knows every word in our mouth. He knows every thought upon our hearts. He knows yesterday. He knows today. And he knows tomorrow. He's omniscient. He knows everything about you. The things that catch us off guard never catch God off guard. And he knows it all. Someone may say, has God forgotten me? No, he hadn't forgotten. He's omniscient. 
Understand, the devil is not omniscient. The devil doesn't know. He's not omniscient. He does not know all that God knows. God knows because he's omniscient. God knows what's best for you. We read the passage this morning out of Romans chapter number 8. Brother Caleb did. All things work together for good to them that love God. To them that are called according to his purpose. God knows what's best for you. God knows. Job 28 and 24. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under the whole heaven. That's an amazing statement to me. He looketh to the ends of the earth and he seeth everything under the whole heaven. There's nothing out of the peripheral of God. He sees it all. Jeremiah 23 and 24. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Here's, we see more exact prophecy being fulfilled. Zechariah 9 and verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. We see he's omniscient. We, see, we continue to see in this passage prophecy being fulfilled. We see that he was on time. We see he's omniscient. We see that Jesus was obeyed. He was obeyed. The Bible tells us that when they got to this place, they asked and they were asked and it says, he sends it. He sends the animal. They went away and found the colt tied, verse 4, by the door without the place where two ways meet. And they loosed him and certain of them that stood there said to him, what do ye loosening the colt? And they said unto him, even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. Here we see that Jesus was obeyed. He was obeyed, and I think it's interesting, and maybe you, uh, some of you preachers d- have done this, and maybe you, you could, maybe we should at times, build a whole message on just this thought, where two ways meet. Where two ways meet. What an amazing thing this is. Obedience to Jesus is always where two ways meet. It's always where things come together, where God is working. Uh, There is the broad way and there is the narrow way. Understand that obedience is a choice that must be made in the place where two ways meet. Obedience must be made in the place. And we'll have opportunity to obey God or disobey God. We'll have to have an opportunity to put the word of God into practice or not. It's the choices that we make. Obedience is always made at the place where these things come together. The opportunities. There are crossroads in life where we have opportunity for obedience to the Lord. Let me ask you, are you on one of those crossroads? A crossroad of life where we have an opportunity to be obedient to the Lord. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Today... I believe many stand at the crossroads of sin and the crossroads of salvation. Trust Christ. Be born again. Maybe you're standing here this morning at the crossroads of whether I'll follow Christ with my life, whether I'll give him my life. And and, and at this stage of my life, I'm just going to give it all. I'm going to put it all in. I'm going to take everything and give it to the Lord. 
It's an opportunity. It's a crossroads where I'll just simply say, no, no, I'll just go my way. I'll just go my way. It's an opportunity to obey the Lord. We see that he was on time. We see that he's omniscient. We see that he was obeyed in the Lord's arrival. Number two, notice with me the lavish praise, verses 7 and 8. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches off the trees and strode them in the way. And they went before. And they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Here we see lavish praise. The Bible tells us when they brought the colt to Jesus that some, they put their garments upon the colt. They made a makeshift saddle for our Lord. Others along the way, they laid their garments. They took their garments off and laid them uh, before as the colt began to walk with Jesus riding upon it. They laid their garments before and the colt and Jesus walked upon those garments. It was symbolic of the king and the people putting all that they had, their very garments, everything that they owned under the submission of the king. It was symbolic. So here they are laying their garments as he rode into the city, and others laid palm branches before him. They spread their garments. Not only they spread their garments, but they shouted. Verses 9 and 10. Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They shouted. This passage is what is found in Psalm 118, verses 20 through 26. If you'll turn there with me, please. Psalm 118, verses 20 through 26. This is where we find what they were saying here in that particular, on this occasion, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Psalm 118, verses 20 through 26. This gate of the Lord... Into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me. And art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused. Is is become the head stone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He goes on to say. Verse number 25, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Here, this is being repeated from the crowd as Jesus is riding the colt as he's coming into the town. There's the shouting. But understand, we see in all the spread of the garments and the shouting, understand that it was all done out of selfishness. All done out of selfishness. All of this was short-lived. We mentioned early, by the middle of the week, the same crowd would be crying out, crucify him. You see, for them, this Isaiah, this Psalm passage of 118 was a passage where they saw God's blessings and they saw God's prosperity and that's what they wanted. They wanted a king who would give them blessings and who would bring prosperity into their lives. 
They wanted a king who would uh, restore the nation. They wanted a king that would bring them out of Roman bondage. They wanted the king's blessings and prosperity. They wanted deliverance from Roman rule. But never did they see their need for deliverance from sin. This is the issue. Never did they see their need for deliverance from their sin. They offered plenty of lip service, but there was never any life service to back it up. Oh, there were a few in the crowd. We get to the ascension a number of days later. We see the 120 that are gathered in the upper room. There were a, a few there. They were the disciples, but even those disciples would scatter there in the garden. And one of those would uh, betray our Lord. They offered lip service, but there was never any life service. It was all selfish and superficial and empty. Matthew 15 and 8, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know, I feel like we have a lot of people in the world today, in America today, that would be in the crowd saying, God, we want your prosperity. God, we want your blessings. Let me tell you how God's blessing me. Let me tell you the prosperity that I'm enjoying. But there's no life service to back it up. The world has no problem with the Jesus of blessing. The world has no problem with the Jesus of prosperity. But don't dare talk to us about a Jesus that demands repentance of our sins. Don't dare talk to us about that. Well, tell us about the one that will bless. The one that will bring prosperity. But this matter of repentance of sin. This issue of sin. The world wants a Jesus who will bless them. Even living in their sins. Bless us in our sins. Not one who has come to save us from our sins. This, this processional this time, this entry, although the people cried out, Hosanna, save us. They wanted the prosperity. They wanted the blessings of God, but they did not understand, nor did they want the salvation of God. We see the Lord's arrival. It was right on time. The lavish praise. It was selfish and short-lived. Notice lastly and very quickly with me, the lost condition. The lost condition. This was the reason for Christ's entering into Jerusalem. It was the lost condition. Verse number 11. Jesus entered into, the, into Jerusalem and into the temple. When he had looked around about all, upon all things, and now the even time was come, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. If it had been a Roman king, he had entered into the palace and set upon the throne. He had entered into the arena found the feasting and the celebration and the entertainment and all that would take place. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He enters into the temple. And we'll look at next week what he actually found. He did not find a king's welcome. He entered into the temple and found a mess. We see the appraisal of the temple. Jesus, the Bible tells us that 
earlier in Luke, he tells us that he looks over Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. He says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how often would have I gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. And ye would not. The temple is a place of worship. Christ found it to be a den of thieves. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Jesus came into the city that eventful day to give his life a ransom for many. That's our theme verse out of chapter 10, verse number 45. To give his life a ransom for many. By the end of the week, the gospel message will be complete. All the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to it. By the end of the week it would be complete. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. The good news, the gospel. By the end of the week it would all be the the gospel message would have been completely put together in fullness. Completed by Jesus Christ. By the end of the week Satan will be forever conquered. The sting of death will be forever removed. The change of sin will forever be broken. The Lord came the first time to die for you and to die for me. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The day of salvation. He came to his own. His own received him not. I wonder if Jesus would come into many of our churches. Would we recognize him? I wonder when Jesus steps into our lives. Steps into the circumstances and situation of our lives. Are we missing him? Do we see him at work? Or do we say, are we still saying as this nation did. He's nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Today is the day of salvation. The day is the day of faith. The world stands at the crossroads. Where two ways meet. And we do as well. And we have an opportunity. To obey God or disobey God. He is who he says he is. He is the God of heaven. He's the God of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. He is the God of promise. He is the God that will sustain you. He is the God that will meet every need. Why in the world won't we trust him? Why in the world won't we just say, okay, God... You know best. You know best. And surrender to Him. Can I invite you to do that this morning? Can I invite you to by faith, if you've never been saved, trust Him as your personal Lord and Savior. If you're born again this morning, can I encourage you this morning to surrender our lives afresh. Give it all to Him. Surrender it all. And when we surrender it all, It does not mean that we walk an aisle and we get on our knees and we stay a prayer and get up and carry the burden with us again. Surrender is that. Surrender. Lord, I know that you're always on time. God, I know that you're omniscient. God, I know that I need to obey you today with your help. And God gives help. God makes those promises sure in our lives. Today, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Whatever may come, I'm yours. By way of salvation, by way of surrender, 
Lord, use me. Work in my heart today. Let's bow in a word of prayer, please.